also known as, that's right, the best time of the day. Not only the best time of the day, the best time of every single day of all the days there ever was, all the days there ever will be for all the people who have ever lived and some people who have never been born. That's how good it is, yeah. And if you'd like to enjoy it to its maximum potential, and why wouldn't you, really, all you need is a cup or a mug or a glass, a tanker, chalice, a stein, a canteen, jug, a flask, a vessel of any kind. Fill it with your favorite liquid. I like coffee. And join me now for the unparalleled pleasure, the dopamine hit of the day. The thing that makes everything better is called the simultaneous sip, and it's going to happen now all over the world, making everything better. Watch. Go. Now, quickly, quickly compare... Yeah, everything's better. <laughs> Did you see that? It was like just a moment ago, everything in the world was just a little bit worse. And then you take the sip, it's immediate. A lot of people say to me, Scott, how long does it take to kick in? <laughs> it's immediate. You could feel it right away. Well, let's talk about the news. Uh, I don't want to say that it's a slow news time. But let's just say that the excitement we used to get from the news, not as much, not as much. Here's one of the big stories. There's a robot that can make a pizza. Yeah, yeah, talk about the golden age. An actual robot will you know, work up the dough and flatten it out and put it on the cooking surface and put all the stuff on it and take it away when it's done. It can make uh, 80 pizzas an hour, a robot. Now, that's the good news. The bad news is a lot of people get jobs preparing food. What kind of food could a robot not make? Huh? <laughs> Here's one of the big mysteries about restaurants. And for, you know, I owned a couple of restaurants for a while, and this was always the biggest mystery. Why is it? that all the restaurants, let's say the ones that are Italian food, why is it that they don't end up all serving the same food after a while? Because don't they all know how to make Italian food? And, and isn't there a cross-pollination of employees and recipes? And recipes are not even patentable. You can't even protect a recipe unless it's a trade secret. So over time... Shouldn't all the restaurants be serving basically the same food? Because everybody, everybody would figure out what, what is the taste profile that everybody likes, and they would, they would make it that way. But it doesn't happen. It's just a, a weird kind of thing where uh, you can't train your employees to make the food the same way twice. Uh, locally, the best restaurants are the ones that have the shortest menu. Do you know why that is? They have the shortest menu so the fewest choices, and they never change the menu. And it's because if you don't do that, the only person who can make the food is the chef. The cooks won't know how to make the food if you keep changing it because they're not as good at you know, keeping up and tasting it as you go and all that stuff. So a robot that makes food could get us to the point where all our food is good all the time because if humans make your food... Eh, sometimes good, sometimes not. But if the robots start doing it, it's going to be amazing. And then the robots get networked, and then they uh, share information about the sales. 
and suddenly the robots know exactly what people buy more of, so all the robots start immediately conforming to whatever people buy the most of. Yeah, the, the, uh, even the simple area of the food you're eating is likely to go from, hey, most of the time the food I eat is pretty good, all the way to robots making your food perfectly every time. Food is going to get really, really, really good. Like so good you almost wouldn't believe it. If you had AI and you rapid testing, network the robots together and make them make the same food every time. It's going to be good. All right. So it looks like Eric Adams um, is on track to win the mayor, mayoral, mayoral, mayoral contest in New York City. So what do you win, the primary or something? But they think he's going to win. He's the favorite. And here's the interesting part. You're waiting for the interesting part? Yeah, you are. The interesting part is that he's uh, running on an anti-crime platform. So, you're worried about the slippery slope? Well, here's why I generally don't worry about slippery slopes. Because when things slip far enough, there's usually, almost always, a counterforce. And here's a perfect example. Eric Adams is the counterforce. The public had enough. They said, well, you've slipped far enough in this crime direction, and now we're done. And now we're going to fix it. Um... All right. So I think that's a a good sign for the country. Um, It seems to me that the number of protests is way down, right? You're not seeing Black Lives Matter protesting. What happened to Antifa? Did Antifa disband? Or did Antifa get everything they wanted? What exactly happened to Antifa? Did, uh, Did all of their concerns end up being addressed? Did everything that Antifa and Black Lives Matter wanted, did it all happen so they don't need to protest this summer? No, I don't think so. Is this the first summer where no cops killed a black motorist who had been stopped? Did we get lucky and this year cops stopped killing people during stops? What happened to all of that? Was all of that real? How much of that was organic? Was Black Lives Matter and Antifa, were they completely divorced from the political process? Because if they were divorced from the political process, in other words, they had nothing to do with who was president or who was running for president, if they simply had demands, what happened to those demands? Because they haven't been met. Right? And, and uh, Antifa and Black Lives Matter don't even have the same demands. So what happened? Do you remember the Wall Street, uh, the one percenter um, protests, you know, the, the Occupy Wall Street stuff? Do you remember what they were complaining about? It was uh, income inequality. Did that get fixed? Do you remember when there was all this income inequality and then it got fixed? So we don't need to have any more protests? No, it got much worse. The income inequality got way worse. But the protests disappeared. So how much of these protests are real? 
if they seem to come and go independent of the issues that they are allegedly uh, protesting, doesn't that suggest that these are artificial groups and that their leaders, at least, are being influenced by some kind of outside force? I would think so. I'm not sure you could say that there's any chance that's not true. Because things got really quiet uh, once Biden became president. So CNN is reporting that, uh, according to polls, um, 47% of Americans believe the country is going in the right direction. And that's good for President Joe Biden, they say. And it's higher than uh, Trump at the same time. And it's the highest since Obama. Pretty good, right? Wow. Uh, almost half of the country says the, that, that we're going in the right direction. Now, let me ask you a question. If you're just coming out of a pandemic, aren't you always going in the right direction? <laughs> what exactly would have had to go wrong for us to be coming out of a pandemic with all the economic growth that naturally comes with that, how could you possibly not be going in the right direction? And still, half of the country thinks we're not. You could be brain dead as president, and we'd be going in the right direction right now, because you always are when you come out, of the, come out of the bottom. If we were coming out of a depression, we'd be going in the right direction. If you come out of a war, you're going in the right direction. If you come out of a pandemic, you're probably going in the right direction. So how hard was it for our brain-dead president to lead us in the right direction? He just had to show up. (laughs) That's it. Whoever was in president, whoever was the president today, was going to be going in the right direction. It'd be pretty hard to get any worse after a pandemic. But that's uh, the cover, of course, that CNN gives to... uh, the left. There, there are more polls, which we'll get to in a moment. I like that uh, CNN is now calling January 6th that protest at the Capitol. They started calling it the insurrection, so it would sound more illegal and, and more dangerous. But now they've added a new uh, qualifier. Now it's a deadly insurrection. Now, it was deadly, so that, that word does fit. I'm not going to argue that the word is inappropriate, But I love the branding job that CNN does. It's no longer just an insurrection. Now it's that deadly insurrection. Do you know why the deadly insurrection happened? Because of the big lie. So CNN has learned from uh, Trump how to brand things. And they're doing it really well. If If I'm being objective... They're doing a really, really good job at this branding stuff. That, that whole big lie was really good branding. That was almost as good as um, you know, low-energy jab and, and uh, you know, uh, crooked Hillary. So this is another one of uh, Trump's lasting legacies that, that uh, his enemies, if you will, CNN, they learned to use his trick, the branding, and it works. It's really good. All right, uh, here's a point. There was a doctor, I think, on Fox News making this point. If the reason that we had so many restrictions during the pandemic was primarily to keep the hospitals from being slammed, 
And we know now that even if you get COVID when you're vaccinated, you're probably not going to go to the hospital. Even if you're not vaccinated and you get COVID, you're probably going to get the really good therapeutics now that also keep you out of the hospital. So I believe that we have solved the hospital impact problem. Does anybody disagree with that? Could we say with certainty, is it, or is it too soon? But can we say with certainty that at least the hospital overrun problem, is that part solved? Like, like for sure everybody would agree with that statement? Or are there still some people who think that maybe we could, we could crush the hospitals if there's a new surge? I think we're past that, right? Because even the therapeutics are so good, and most of the people who would die are already vaccinated, right? Yeah, and you could argue that the hospital impact was solved um, in the winter because that would have been the peak, and we got past that okay. So the biggest reason for the, you know, the lockdowns and the masking and stuff um, no longer exists. And the fact that we're even talking about masking up again, that that's even a question, uh, we're done with this, right? Everybody, everybody? Would, does it matter to you what your government tells you about masks going forward? Because I don't think we're in the mood to comply. I was definitely in the mood to comply in the beginning of the pandemic. Because I think reasonably, you know, strategy-wise, uh, going with the experts in the fog of war probably is better than just guessing on your own. So in the, in the beginning of the pandemic, there were real reasons, and we were trying to keep the hospitals from being crushed and keep grandma alive and, and all that. But we're really done with that. We're done with that. Even, even people who are relatively pro-mask, I think we're all done now. So, or, or enough of us are done that they couldn't possibly uh, make this mandate stick. I don't think. I don't think there's any chance of masks coming back, but I could be wrong. So I saw, I saw a tweet that I thought was fake this morning, but I'm being told it's real. If I'm wrong about this, could you correct me? That there's a uh, Twitter user named Tom Likas, L-E-Y-K-I-S. Many of you have probably seen him. Tweets about politics. Does not like Republicans. Did not like Trump one bit. I've had some unpleasant encounters with him on Twitter. I think he blocked me finally, or I blocked him or something. So a very, very unpleasant fellow. But did he really tweet this? Because I have a question. I'm seeing people saying it's real and it's on his timeline. But it's hard to believe. So he tweeted a story about a race car crashing in Georgia and killing an audience member. A fresh story, right? Just happened. An audience member just died in Georgia. And he tweets, one less Trump supporter. What? One less Trump supporter? Somebody just died in the audience when a car hit him? Now, didn't Georgia go Democrat? Who exactly thinks that if you're in the crowd in Georgia that you're necessarily a Republican in 2021? So first of all, the assumption is kind of hinky. But second of all, uh, this is pretty bad. Remember, I got a lot, of, uh, a lot of grief for predicting last year that if Biden got elected, Republicans would be hunted. And people said, come on, that's too far. And here there's a public figure 
who is cheering the death of a Trump supporter in public, and as far as I know, he will not be banned on social media. That's right. That you could say in public that you're glad for the death of a Republican, and apparently that would be okay. Now, I also think that, you know, we shouldn't be censoring so much, but there is a little bit of a double standard here, and um, this is short of Republicans being hunted, but how many Republicans uh, keep their head down and don't admit their political affiliation at work? If Republicans are hiding, it's sort of like being hunted. It's getting close to it. All right. So uh, Rasmussen asked its uh, people it polled, likely voters, he said, is uh, Biden's immigration policy better or worse than Trump? Now, correct me if I'm wrong, one of the biggest reasons that uh, Biden ran for president is to improve the immigration policy. Wouldn't you say that would be a fair statement? You know, very close to the top of the reasons for Biden to run was to fix immigration. Um, 35% of those polled said that Biden's doing better. Oh, 35%. That's not bad. Oh, but 49% say he's doing worse. That's right. 49% of the country, far more than the people who say he's doing better, say he's doing worse. Now, I tell you again, this is why he ran for president. It was one of the top five reasons, right? Maybe we should look at some of his other performance. Let's find out if the reasons that Biden ran are holding up. Now, you remember that although Trump was famous for failing the fact-checking, he had this strange quality for a politician, which was he kept his promises. It was, it's the strangest combination of in one person. Have we ever had a president who continuously failed the fact-checking, as Trump did, you know, even if you're a supporter, I think you have to, you, you have to accept that his hyperbole was you know, consistently failing the fact-checking. But at the same time, and the same person, I don't think anybody did a better job of keeping his campaign promises. Now, when I say keeping his promises, I mean he at least tried really hard. right? He didn't get the wall built, but he put all the effort into it. I mean, he definitely kept his promises uh, like maybe nobody ever has. So what was the uh, point of electing Biden? Well, let's see. Here's, some, here's what I feel was his, his main uh, selling points. Uh, honesty, right? One of the main things that Biden wanted to bring was honesty. Um, how's that working out? Well, the Washington Post gives Biden administration three Pinocchios for claiming that uh, Republicans are the ones who voted to defund the police. What? <laughs> Republicans voted to defund the police? just completely made up out of nothing. And this is coming from the Biden administration. So remember, one of the reasons he ran was to get more honesty. So that didn't work out, right? So even the Washington Post is saying, well, we didn't get that, right? So that was one reason, honesty. Didn't get that. Um, Better immigration policy? No, didn't get that, because half of the country says it's worse. How about uh, better handling of Iran, you know, the Iran nuclear deal especially? Russia, 
and China. Would you say that Biden has done a better job than Trump handling Iran, Russia, and China? I don't think anybody thinks that, right? You, at the very least, it's not better. So those reasons for electing Biden don't hold. We're probably in more danger from Iran. They're being more aggressive, not less. Russia seems to be more aggressive, not less. And China is China, right? Nothing anybody does changes anything they do. So that reason didn't hold up. There was, of course, famously the fine people hoax. He literally ran for president mentioning the fine people hoax as if it were real. He actually ran one of his, I would say, top five reasons, you could argue it's the top one, wasn't even real. And the fact checkers confirmed that. It just didn't even happen. And that was one of his main reasons. So that didn't work out. How about improving the respect for the U.S. presidency? Because remember how bad it was when the G7 may have laughed at Trump behind his back? And certainly you don't want to live in a country where people are... um, where people are actually... uh, You don't want to live in a country where... Sorry, I just read a comment and just completely lost my uh, thought. Okay, the respect for the U.S. presidency. Yeah, you don't want to live in a country where other countries don't respect your president. So how's that working out? Do you think that the other leaders are looking at the videos of Joe Biden barely being sentient and saying to themselves, wow, looks like the United States finally got themselves a, a competent leader got rid of that uh, Donald Trump guy, and now they've got this strong Joe Biden leader that we don't laugh at at all? Well, that didn't happen, right? There is no way in the world that the leaders are not at least raising an eyebrow about Biden's intellectual capacity. So uh, they laughed out loud at him at the G7. Do you think they're laughing out loud at uh, Biden behind his back? Hmm, I think they are. <laughs> I think they are. Oh, or were you talking about Biden that they laughed at out loud? Yeah, I, I believe that there was a story about that. All right, what else? Uh, uh, Biden also ran on following the science, right? How's that working out? Is the Biden administration following that science? with their, let's say, their mask, uh, mask ideas and the, how about wearing a, a mask on an airplane? Do you think that the requirements of vaccinated people having to take a COVID test before they got on an airplane, is that based on science? No. No, of course not. So, uh, so li- listen to this list. I'll just read them to you again. And not one of these things that Biden promised us is even close to happening. We, we don't have more honesty in the presidency. We don't have better immigration. We don't have better handling of Iran, Russia, or China. Uh, the fine people hoax, of course, was a hoax. We don't have really more respect for the U.S. presidency. You know, it's a, a different set of complaints, but nobody's going to respect what they're seeing out of Biden. And we're not following the science, and we're obviously not doing it. So there you go. All right, uh, that's the Biden report card, not looking good. So here's a uh, persuasion tip that I go to quite often. 
And the persuasion tip is this. If there's something happening, let's say a policy or a, a, a set of ideas that you think are absurd and you're arguing against them, have you noticed it never works? That if you just take a position against whatever somebody's for, eh, nothing happens. They're still for it. You're arguing against it. No difference. But, as I've taught you, if an idea is genuinely absurd, like it's genuinely just bad shit crazy, then the way to kill it is by agreeing with it. That's how you kill it. If, if an idea is fairly solid, but maybe you think you have a different way that's even better, uh, you can't use that approach. Because you can't add to a solid idea to kill it. It was a solid idea. If you support it, it gets stronger. But if an idea is absurd, just like batshit fucking crazy absurd, the way you kill it is by supporting it. Let me give you a, let me give you a concrete um, example. You've heard of intersectionality. It's a component of a critical race theory. I think that's fair to say that it's always included in that, uh, in that set of teachings. And intersectionality, it took me a while to figure out what the hell that was all about, but it has to do with the fact that you could be discriminated against for more than one thing. So, for example, if you're black in America, you could be discriminated against for being black. But suppose you were black and also female. Well, that's something else to be discriminated against. So you're black and you're female. You've got two things to be discriminated for. But what if you're black and female and a lesbian? You've got three things to be discriminated about, and if you understand intersectionality, you would be able to you know, understand these situations in their uniqueness. And apparently the teaching of intersectionality is considered important, so people can really see you know, the nuance of all the discrimination that's going on. Now, suppose you didn't like that, and you wanted to kill it. How would you kill it with kindness? In other words, how can you kill it by agreeing with it? And the, the obvious answer is you add categories because they're completely valid. If we're going to talk about all of the ways that people are discriminated against, which is the whole point of intersectionality, right? The point of it is you're not leaving anything out. It's like all the discrimination. You're not just black. You might be black and you know, gay. Right? So that's the whole point. So let's add some things in there. What are some other things that uh, people are commonly discriminated against in the United States that would be important for children to learn? All right? How about being a Republican? Is there anybody who is discriminated against for being a Republican? And the answer is, yeah. I mean, I just gave you an example, the Tom Likas example. That somebody could say in public that they're glad you died. Could you say that about a uh, black person in the United States on a social media platform in 2021? If you expressed happiness that a person of any ethnic group had died, could you do that? No, no. But you could do it with a Republican. Tom Likas just did it. He's still on Twitter, right? So I think that's fair to say that if you're a Republican, you would be the subject to great discrimination by some people, 
Now, obviously, people who are like whatever group you're talking about are not going to discriminate. Republicans are not going to discriminate against Republicans. But, you know, gay people don't discriminate against gay people. So that's just what we expect. How about uh, white people? Are there any white people who ever experience any discrimination? Well, yes, yes. It's completely different. And if you're going to say, Scott, 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 these are not equal, I would say, I'm not saying they're equal. I'm saying that intersectionality is including everything. You've got to throw everything in there. That's the whole point. It doesn't, you're not weighing them. I'm not saying that gay is better or worse than you know, black or Latinx or whatever. I'm just saying they all need to be there. We're, we're not comparing. So if you say to me, white people don't get much discrimination compared to these other groups, uh, maybe, maybe not. It doesn't matter. It's not relevant to the question of whether it should be included because there's still so much of it. All right? Uh, I've lost two jobs for being white and male. Uh, if anybody doesn't know my story there, <laughs> prior to becoming the Dilbert cartoonist, I worked for two big corporations, and both of them called me in on separate days, of course, and they both told me in direct language that I couldn't be promoted because I'm white and male. Now, when I say direct language, I mean they said it directly. You, Scott, can't be promoted because you're white, because you're male. I'm not reading between the lines. They said that directly, and it was official policy. All right? How many people in today's world have lost a job because uh, their, their company wanted more uh, diversity, because that was the situation in my case. They just wanted more diversity in senior management. How many white people have lost a job because of that? Look at the comments. There are people in the comments saying that they did. Lots and lots and lots of white people have been discriminated against. Now, am I, am I crying? Do you hear any violins? Do you? Do you hear any violins? And let me say this as clearly as, I, as possible. If you're objecting to me saying that white people are discriminated against, fuck you. Just fuck you. That's all I have to say about that. Because if you care about other people being discriminated against, but you don't care about the white people who are routinely discriminated against, less, I'm, I'm not comparing, I'm not saying it's like slavery, right? I'm not saying that. I'm not, I'm not saying it's like the Native Americans being kicked off their ancestral lands. I'm not comparing. I'm just saying it's real. And if we're going to include all, all the discrimination categories, this is in the list, or fuck you, right? Anybody who doesn't think that white people are discriminated against massively in this country, fuck you. You're, you're just an asshole, right? But again, I will accept that if you were ranking them you, you wouldn't necessarily rank them the same. We're, we're on the same page there. How about short people? We have plenty of science that says short people are discriminated against in many ways, especially economically. How about politically? Yeah, it matters. So let's put short people on the list because I think our children need to learn not to discriminate against short people. How about bald people? 
Do I, ever, do I ever get discriminated against for being hair challenged? Of course. <laughs> of course. Have I ever been insulted in public for being bald? On here, in live stream, almost every week. I, I am mocked in public for a physical element of my being that I have no control over. Is that cool? Yeah, are we going to let school children learn that? I say no. And how about gingers? Do gingers ever get discriminated against? Yes. Yes, they do. Let's throw that on the list. Children need to learn about that. How about uh, Christians? Has anybody ever been discriminated against for being a little too religious? Yes. <laughs> We're in the United States. We'll discriminate against anything. Too religious, not religious enough, wrong religion, don't practice your religion right, you look like a hypocrite to me. Yeah, all of that stuff. So throw religion in there for sure, and Christians in particular. How about dumb people? Are dumb people ever discriminated against? Yes. Dumb people are the one category that we all discriminate against because we're all smart, right? You're lucky. Lucky us. Lucky us that everybody on this live stream are the smart ones. Good job, us. But do we make fun of dumb people? Yeah, all the time. Is that fair? Was anybody, uh, did anybody choose to be uh, below average in intelligence? Nope. Nope. Nobody ever filled out an application and said, yes, I think I'd like to be below average in intelligence. No. You're just born that way. And we, and we mock people like that. Let's put that on the list. Intersectionality. How about the rich? Are the rich ever discriminated against for just being rich? And the answer is yes. <laughs> yes. Now, again, would you rather be rich or to have you know, some other problem? Well, you'd rather be rich. Being rich is way better than being poor, no doubt about it. So again, we're not comparing things for which one is worse, which would be absurd in itself. We're just saying that there is discrimination against rich people. And let's put it on the list. How about age? Is there such a thing as age discrimination? Yes. <laughs> Massively. Massively. Do you think you can, uh, do you think at my age, if I weren't, you know, the famous Dilbert guy, do you think at my age I could walk into a startup and they'd hire me just like that? No, no, age discrimination is gigantic. So here's what you do with intersectionality. You embrace it to death. You say it's incomplete because it does not include enough categories of intersectionality. It needs to be expanded, not killed. Because you could expand it to the point where it disappears. In other words, if you were to treat it seriously, it would just disappear. Because everybody is discriminated against one way or another. It really, is there anybody who's not discriminated against? If you're young, beautiful, and white, and let's say you're female, you're young, beautiful, white, rich, and female, do you get discriminated against? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, a lot. 
is it as bad as some other category of discrimination? You know, let's say gays or black, whatever. I don't know. I doubt it. But again, we're not comparing. We're just saying that if you're discriminated against, we should teach kids not to do it. All right. Um, yeah. Oh, and blondes. Blondes are discriminated against. Um, again, I don't think that's the biggest problem in the world, but uh, yeah, I did lock the cat out again. I closed the door. Sorry, you won't see Boo the cat. Well, there was a uh, assassination in Haiti. Uh, I didn't think that kind of stuff happened anymore, but apparently a bunch of mercenaries, foreign mercenaries, attacked the presidential compound and assassinated the president. I, I Honestly, I didn't know that was something that could happen. Like, why did the president of Haiti have such bad security that a smallish band of mercenaries could take over the capital and murder him? I feel like there was a security issue there. So maybe there was some insider stuff. Um, well, I guess that story is developing, so that's pretty horrible, but we'll wait and see what's happening on that. On vaccinations, Biden's talking about going community by community and door to door. Do you have a problem with that? <laughs> I'm seeing the way it's being received on the right is that people are saying, you're not going to knock on my door and force me to get a vaccination. But I don't think that's the problem, is it? Isn't the problem that they're looking to solve uh, a little bit more about uh, access and maybe a little persuasion? But nobody's going to arrest you if you didn't get a vaccination, right? You're not going to get it. Do, do you really think it, the slippery slope is going to get to the point where if you don't get the vaccination, um, you can't participate in society or something? I don't know. I think there will be too many unvaccinated people for you to worry about uh, long-term discrimination. I think short-term, there will be an advantage to being vaccinated in terms of social access, but it's probably a few months. Um, someone's going to shoot them, somebody I'm seeing in the comments. Well, I hope not, because I, I feel as though the people who are going to be knocking on the doors are not going to be you know, Gestapo. When somebody knocks on the door, it's going to be you know, a nice man and woman who say, hey, you know, in case you had trouble getting access, we have some vaccinations. You know, can we talk you into it? I feel like it's going to be a very pleasant encounter for, with people who are genuinely trying to help. I don't feel like it's the beginning of you know, Kristallnacht or, or something. It doesn't feel like the beginning of the end to me. Now, it, I understand why it would make you uncomfortable. <laughs> I, I can see your discomfort in the, uh, in the comments. But remember, we're a very armed country. Can you imagine them trying to do forced vaccinations door-to-door with the number of guns that we have in this country? I don't think you have to worry about it. I really don't. I mean, part of being pro-gun, pro-Second Amendment, let's say, part of being pro-Second Amendment is you really kind of don't have to worry about this, right? The the benefit of being a massively gun-owning country is that you don't really need to worry about this. It's just going to look like an option and, and I do think that there's a worry that some people will be persuaded that maybe wouldn't have been persuaded otherwise, and you have to wonder about you know, free will and, and all that. 
So there is a moral, moral and ethical line that needs to be you know, uh, attended to quite rigorously. But I don't think it's going to be a big deal. Let, let me tell you the, the way it's being handled in one business that I will not mention. So there's a local business that has a set of COVID rules. You're supposed to do this and that. And they almost tell you directly that they're not going to enforce it. So we're reaching a point where businesses are going to say uh, masks are required or uh, sterilizing surfaces or whatever, but we're not going to kick you out if you don't, and we're not going to say anything if you don't. So I think that's where we're, we're sliding into a situation where we'll have the rules but no enforcement because the business owner will say, you know, I don't need to make enemies, and there's no science to support enforcing this rule, so I'm just not going to do it. It's not my job. It's just not the business owner's job to enforce the rules. And I think that they are quite reasonably saying, we'll tell you what the rules are. I'll tell you what the rules are, but it's up to you. We're not going to enforce them. All right. Um, How many of your uh, predictions have come true so far? I was saying since the beginning that you shouldn't worry too much about your individual rights being eroded by the pandemic because everyone wants the pandemic to be temporary. And I I still feel that that's going to be the case. There won't be any... I don't think you're going to see a permanent loss of any rights based on on the pandemic. And I think that all indications are that we'll just come out of it okay. Um, New rule... Okay. Yeah, and I've noticed that the grocery stores stopped using uh, gloves and the grocery stores stopped using masks. So the the newest thing everybody's talking about is... um, The newest thing is that if you're vaccinated, you can still get coronavirus. Now, is that being reported as bad news or good news? (laughs) Uh, You know, the famous uh, Quayne quote? The Mark Twain quote is... uh, that humans can't tell the difference between good news and bad news. And when you first hear that, you say to yourself, well, that's not true. Everybody can tell the difference between good news and bad news. How how do you not tell the difference between that? And then you see a million examples. And this is one. If you told me that vaccinated people could still get coronavirus, is that bad news? Because the vaccinated are not going to have a hard time with it. You know, the exception would be somebody who's so close to death with their comorbidities. Yeah, that's bad news for them. But for the average person, let's say me, I'm fully vaccinated. Suppose I also get coronavirus. I'm not going to have any symptoms. And my, my immunity will increase. Do I not want that? Am I worse off if I have the vaccination and immunity? Isn't the best possible situation... To, get, to actually get the coronavirus while you're vaccinated? I feel like that makes you better off, not worse off, because I'm not going to get the symptoms. I'm pro- almost certainly not going to get a long-haul anything. I'll just be more immune. And I don't even believe I can give it to people, you know, statistically speaking. The odds of even giving it to somebody are, are just vanishingly small. Now, I heard a statistic that only 15 
15% of married people who were infected even gave the virus to a spouse, which means we don't understand something about this virus. I don't know what it is. But only 15% gave it to a spouse? How is that possible? (laughs) Doesn't your common sense say that should be well over 50%? But 15? Yeah, there's something deeply mysterious about this. But if you add in the fact that only 15% of your closest human beings even get it, and then you add the vaccination to it, I'm not really worried about having the infection and then giving it to somebody else because the amount of shedding I would have as a vaccinated person would be almost nothing. Uh, so those were probably false positives, somebody says. Eh, it could be. How many people who have a positive don't get a second test, though? Do most people? I, I, I don't know the answer to that. Um, Yes, and I'm going to double down on my uh, attempt to get the Nobel Prize in science or medicine. I don't care. And I'm going to say it again. I have a hypothesis that there are two kinds of immunity to this virus, and maybe other viruses too, but let's just limit it to this. Two kinds of immunity, and this is just a hypothesis. One kind of immunity is the kind that you can see and test. So you do a test, you test test the antibodies, and there they are. I've got specific antibodies for this virus. That's one kind of immunity. My hypothesis is there's another kind that's undetectable. And the other kind that's undetectable would be, and I'm going to use an analogy, instead of building a fence that maybe you could detect, because you could just look at it and say, oh, there's a fence. There's maybe another kind of immunity that's more like getting the materials together and stockpiling them and just being immediately ready if you need to build a fence. So I feel as if there's something we can't quite identify that gives you some kind of pre-immunity or a little bit of safety that's not quite immunity that gives you a leg up. And um, the, no, well, I'm seeing lots of strange comments here. And thank you, Jack. Um, T-cell immunity is well-known and measurable, I'm hearing someone say. Pittsburgh, I cannot answer this call. Sorry, Pittsburgh. Um, But I'm not talking about that, because the T-cell immunity is known. What I'm talking about is that there's literally something that can't be measured, not in T-cells and not in anything that we've measured yet, and that we're somehow more prepped but not immune. So that's what I think. And I think that, uh, and furthermore, I'm going to say that maybe the reason that summer shows a reduction in the virus is that so many people are getting uh, small doses of viral load, enough to maybe alert their immune system, but not enough to create an immunity that can be measured. So it could be that the very best thing for the country is tiny exposure to the virus all year round, so our bodies are just sort of primed, but not necessarily immune. That is my hypothesis, and I will fully expect to win the Nobel Prize in science or medicine. I'm open to either one. All right, I've got to go do some other things, uh, but it has been a pleasure, as always. And I hope that you will uh, have the best day you've ever had this week, and it starts now. 
and I will talk to you, YouTube, tomorrow.